that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as a flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Um, just pause there a little bit. That verse 11, as I was reading it, I got to thinking how difficult that would be to, re- to read if I didn't know it by heart. Um, it's a lot of interesting terminology there. Verse 12, Blessed is a man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So what we're going to look at here is starting in verse 19 through the end of the chapter. And in my Bible at least, it has a little title, uh, a little break there between 18 and 19, a little title above verse 19, and it says, Hearing and Doing the Word. And uh, maybe your Bible has uh, something different depending which one you have. This verse 19 is a key verse because it expresses three topics that James delivers later. Here, in the, the rest of this, these, uh, what is it, nine verses here, in the rest of the chapter one, he talks about hearing. And then, uh, then in James 3, can someone tell me, what does James 3 talk about? The tongue. It talks about your speech. He talks about speaking. And then uh, James 4, the first part of James 4. Does anyone know offhand what James 4 talks about? That's the, the uh, I think it's the first verse, is, is a familiar verse, from whence come wars and fightings among, among you. It talks about wrath. And so here we're going to be looking at hearing, hearing and doing. And he is continuing his practical guidance here. Uh, what, what do we do about listening? And in verse uh, 19, 
<clears throat> it talks about listening and implying listening to our fellow believers or to others and or to people. And then in uh, verses, you go down like to 22 and the rest there, it talks about hearing the word or listening to God. And so that is what he is, he is uh, expressing here. He says, be swift to hear in verse 19, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Um, we need to listen not as a technique to try to influence anyone else, but as a way to let God's word work in us. Uh, somebody said, and I, I read it somewhere, I don't remember now who it was, but he said, I never learned anything by listening. And I remember coming across that quote a long time ago. I don't know if it was when I was in school or when it was. And I try to remember that. I'm one that likes, likes to talk. And I have a, I can have a quick tongue. Uh, when I, when I, uh, when I want to defend myself or something like that, I have words to say right away. Now, when I go back and think about it later, you know, obviously it's always not the best thing to, to do what I, what I said, but that's the way it goes. Listening to others can help remove the anger. Sometimes just, just listening, and instead of replying right away, think about it. And I just want to encourage you to do that. Just to, to wait. Uh, maybe you've heard somebody say, uh, when you're, when you want to reply, count to ten, you know, in anger. Count to ten, or something like that. Um, I remember, was it my mom or somebody saying that? And um, I have another another thing that I get involved in at work is I work in the in the tech industry, and uh, we go on online to a lot of forums where to look for other people with uh, similar issues, and uh, it is very helpful. Sometimes more helpful than the official help uh, sites we can we can find, and. Sometimes people on there, it's interesting watching the responses. You know, when you're sitting at a keyboard behind your screen, you're anonymous other than your, your username. And, uh, so it's easy to, it's easy to lash out and sometimes people get going back and forth. And, um, I've already found myself being tempted to get involved in that. And I've actually already, I'm just gonna, uh, admit here, I have actually already written a response, a nice big long flowery wise response. And then I read over it before I posted it and deleted it. <laughs> so uh, it, it's good to it's good to wait, uh, wait a bit before you respond. Listening is very important. Let them finish. And especially in in high pressure situations, it happens. We run into high pressure situations everywhere: work, home, school, church, anywhere we are. We can find those. And uh, so it's important that we take our time, that we think about what we are doing. Another problem with, say, interrupting somebody or maybe responding immediately is that it can cause the other person to, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't help their mood at all. And uh, how much better it is to let God, to trust God uh, to defend our position than to try to defend ourselves by angry, hasty speech. And we talked about that a little bit, at least in the men's class, in our Sunday school class this morning. And... This is, uh, this is, uh, you know, applies everywhere. Listening is well established in business literature, literature as a crucial leadership skill. Uh, business owners and, and bosses must listen to their employees. Now, obviously, there's a time when, you know, there's a time to take their advice and a time not to, but at least listen. Uh, parents, listen to your children. Church leaders, listen to your, your members. And, um, 
school teachers, listen to your students, wherever that applies. It, of course, you know, the, it's not, you're not always going to be able to use what they say, but at least listen. It helps the, helps the mood of everybody and, uh, gives you time, uh, gives you time to think up a, a wise response. The workplace, talking about the workplace specifically, can be a very, uh, fertile soil for God's work, like the Roman Empire was. Um, the Roman Empire was filled with hardship and persecution. The workplace can be the same. Um, a lot of times we work with people who are not believers. And uh, in area where we live in Lancaster County, uh, it's it's pretty common to get entire entire crews that are that are all uh, you know conservative Christians. But it's also sometimes you get those groups where maybe half of them are and half of them aren't. And it's interesting listening to some testimonies from some of the some of the men that I go to church with at work in in situations like that, and they can talk about how they they and their and their coworkers who are Christians how they talk about how their response has an impact on uh, those who are not Christians that they that they work with. And uh, there are five qualities mentioned here that J, that James specifically mentions the qualities of a receptive heart. The first one he says is to be swift to hear. To be swift to hear God's word implies an eagerness to take in the word from every angle. And as believers, we should have a desire to read the word and to listen to the the biblical preaching and to memorize the word and to understand it as much as we can with the idea of obeying it. In uh, Psalm 119, it's kind of the centerpiece of the Bible. It's actually about in the center of the Bible. And it goes on for 176 verses, and it talks about God's Word, and it expresses the psalmist's delight in it. And when you read Psalm 119, all hundred, if you ever read all 176 verses, a lot of the verses are similar. They're saying the same thing over and over in different ways. And he is just so excited about about God's Word and listening to God's Word and what it means to him. He says in uh, verse 131, for example, he says, I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for thy commandments. Now, what does panting mean? Um, I, we think of panting as, as breathing heavy. Maybe you're eager for oxygen after you exerted. But the way it's used in the Bible, uh, it's used other places, um, it, it gives it meaning more of a desire, a strong desire. It talks about the, the deer panting for water. Uh, we read that somewhere else in the, in the Psalms. And so we have a strong, the psalmist here had a strong desire for God's Word. In Psalm uh, 19 verse 10, David again was talking about God's commandments and he says, more to be desired are they than gold. This is a familiar verse. Yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. You go to Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. These verses there from both the Old and the New Testament talks about having a strong desire for God's word. So I would just challenge each one of you to evaluate your heart for God's word. Do you delight in it? Do you pant after it? Do you long for it? And do you, do you uh, eagerly await what it has for you. There was a, a Welsh preacher, um, 
His name was Roland Hill. He was uh, born in the 1700s, lived into the 1800s, so a couple hundred years ago. And as an old man, he was visiting a longtime friend, and his friend said, it is now, to Roland Hill, this preacher, he said, it is now 65 years since I first heard you preach. I still remember your text and a part of your sermon. And so Hill, the preacher, asked, what part of the sermon do you remember? And his friend answered, you said that some people, when they went to hear a sermon, were very squeamish about the delivery of the preacher. Then you said, supposing you went to hear the will of one of your relatives read and you were expecting a legacy from him, you would hardly think of criticizing the manner in which a lawyer read the will, but you would be all attention to hear whether anything was left to you, and if so, how much. And that is the way to hear the gospel. We should have a desire for the gospel, a strong desire as if you were, uh, as if you were eagerly awaiting the will of, say, a, ri- a rich relative. A receptive heart opens the ears to God's word of truth. And then he goes on, another phrase in, uh, verse 19, James 1.19, he says, slow to speak. And that again goes along with listening. You listen and you think before you talk. Um, I heard a, I heard a minister, that said, uh, years ago, he was in a, he was in a bishop ordination and it was between him and, and a fellow minister. And this minister that I heard this testimony from was the senior. He had been ordained longer. And the, the, uh, the lot fell on the other minister. And this minister that I heard the testimony, he said, he said the first Sunday after the ordination, he got up to preach in front of his congregation or to moderate or something. He was up front. And he said, everyone was saying now, oh, he should have been ordained because he was ordained bishop because he was minister longer. And he got up and he said, now listen here, people, I want to tell you something. He said, this brother that was chosen as bishop is a, would be a much better bishop than I would. He said, for one thing, he thinks before he talks, unlike me. <laughs> and uh, so that was just that was just what he said. And there were maybe some other things, and I think he would have done well as well. But he did realize that he did have an issue with a quick tongue at times. And uh, so that is important. Uh, identifying it is the first step. Slow to speak. Someone long ago pointed out that we have two ears that we cannot close and we have one mouth which we can close. And you've probably heard a lot of saying something like that. There's a reason we have two ears and, and one tongue. Uh, Larry King, who was a longtime TV interviewer, no doubt uh, most of you at least heard of him, he said, I never learned anything while I was talking. That's what I was looking for. James is not forbidding us from interacting with God's Word and asking questions, uh, pertinent questions, but he is talking here about the person who is never silent before the Lord, someone who is always talking. And I don't know if you've ever met somebody like that, um, one of my friends one time told me he went on a trip with a van load of youth and he said he got so tired of one of the girls was just always talking. And it wasn't necessarily that what she said was was wrong or boring or anything. They just got tired of her talking all the time. And uh, so that can be aware just in itself. Plus, again, you're not learning anything when you're talking. Listen to others. When God's Word confronts a sinner, he is quick to defend himself, and those two uh, work against each other. We should uh, remember the words that Eli told Samuel. He said, 
he told Samuel, you know, and Samuel ran to him in the middle of the night a couple times when he thought he heard a voice. And Eli told him, you go after the, it was the second time, he told him, you go back, and when you hear it again, say, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Uh, very good advice. You won't hear God from God if you're doing all the talking. A receptive heart controls the tongue. And then the third phrase there, slow to wrath. And this can go along with the others. These kind of all uh, follow one on top of the other. How do you respond when the Bible steps on your toes? Maybe it's something you're reading. Maybe it's something you hear taught in church or in school or somewhere. Um, it's something you don't like because it's something that affects the way you live. It, it, it goes against the lifestyle that you know. Uh, do you get angry and defensive? And James goes on here, that's the last, slow to wrath is the last phrase of, of 19, verse 19, and in verse 20 he says, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. If you want to grow in righteousness, stop fighting God's word and submit to it. And while we're on the subject of anger, let's apply it to our personal relationships as well. The sin of anger also rips apart Christian families and churches. And no doubt, a lot of you, the adults at least, have seen that or have witnessed that in some way or another. Maybe you've experienced it. It's a, Anger is a devastating sin that always creates distance in relationships. It can destroy families. It destroys churches. It destroys workplaces. And it never accomplishes anything good. It's like kind of like dropping a bomb. When the bomb goes off, there's nothing there. Nothing good anyways. A bunch of destruction. Okay, then in, in verse uh, 21, he talks about laying apart all filthiness. And laying apart here, um, we think of maybe separating something. What the term here means, what it, the way it's translated... Uh, if you go back to the original meaning, it was a term used for taking off filthy clothes. And so there it makes a lot of sense using that term laying apart. So here it's like taking off those dirty clothes or taking off that sin. The word uh, superfluity literally means abundance. So we talk about superfluity of naughtiness and abundance of naughtiness. That's what it means. It's an unnecessarily, or you could actually expand that meaning, an unnecessarily or excessively large amount or number of something. So you can also put that in there in place of superfluity. It's clear that James does not mean that you can keep some wickedness as long as you get rid of the extra because any extra wickedness you have, any wickedness you have is extra. It's a figure of speech that means the whole dirty mass of witness, of wickedness. And it means to get rid of every trace of it. Uh, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 to put off the old man and to put on the new. That's Ephesians 4 and verses 22 to, to 24. When, when we go from a life of a sinner and when we accept Christ, we, we have to deal with the baggage that we have. And sometimes, depending your situation, now, most of us, or maybe all of us here, grew up in, in, in Christian homes and we learned these things from little up. Uh, somebody that did not have that privilege, they sometimes don't know. They come to believe in Christ and, and as they're reading the Scriptures later, they learn a lot of things. We knew, we knew the Scriptures. We know what's in there from the time we were little. But not everybody has that. Uh, not, not everybody does. 
And so as they're reading, they may find some things that will convict them. And um, so when it happens, their heart needs to be receptive so that it can, it can work on the inside. And it will get rid of the crud or the filth and allow the wholesome, uh, the wholesome teachings of Christ to fill them. Okay, and then another, another quality of the receptive heart is that it, it says, uh, receive with meekness the engrafted word. And that's, uh, the end of verse, or there in the middle of verse 21. The picture here is of a sower scattering the seed. And we read uh, Jesus' parable about how the the seed, you know, fell some on some on stony soil and some on fertile, and a couple different uh, couple different characteristics of where the of the ground that it fell on. And even even seed that falls on good soil needs to be nurtured, and it needs to be watered, and um, it needs to be taken care of, and the weeds must be pulled, and it needs to be. Protected from birds or from being kept from being trampled on or walked on. The word here, meekness, can be a difficult word to translate. Um, some translations translate it as gentleness, which is a fruit of the spirit. The King James here uses meekness. Other translations use humility. The Greek word has the idea of strength and submission or strength under control. And it was used to describe Alexander the Great's horse. Now, I don't know how much you know about Alexander the Great's horse, and I don't know much about it other than what I have here. Alexander the Great's horse was known to be powerfully strong, extremely strong, very powerful, good strength. But it was totally submissive and responsive to its master's touch. And what a powerful tool anything like that is. We can be like that. We have... Virtually unlimited strength. And if we obey orders and uh, follow the, the teachings of Christ, we can be a very, a very uh, powerful asset to the kingdom of God. In uh, moving down here in James 22 to 25, it talks about listening to obey. So hearing the word, these couple, first couple of verses we talked about listening. Hearing the word must be followed by obedience. So when the word of God is planted in our hearts, it must sprout, it must grow, and it must bear fruit. Putting seed in the ground, <clears throat> excuse me, is not the goal. And uh, we have some farmers here and uh, a lot of gardeners, and you know what that's like. You don't put the seed in the ground because you feel like putting the seed in the ground. You put the seed in the ground because three months down the road, you're looking for something. You're looking for a return. In the same way, listening to the Word is not the goal. Obeying what we have heard is the goal. And we are deceiving ourselves if we think that just listening is enough for righteousness. And here in uh, verse 23, James illustrates what listening to the Word of God and not doing it is like. And I'm actually going to illustrate that for you this morning. Now yesterday... I was asking my mother-in-law for a few props, and I know that she was very curious. Where is she? I don't see her. There she is. She was very curious what I'm going to do. So now, now uh, Rachel, you're going to find out. <laughs> so James talks about a glass. We have a mirror on both sides here. One side looks a little better than the other. He talks about a glass. A foolish person looks in the glass, and he looks, and he sees what he looks like. And then it talks about... He goes away and forgets what he looks like. Now, I have something else here. 
Let's see if I can find it. Something's wrong. Does anybody see something wrong? Here, um, you, I don't know your name. Was something wrong? What's wrong? <laughs> There's something on my face. Well, I looked in the mirror. I just looked in the mirror, and there was nothing there. <laughs> um, James talks about how a person looks in the mirror, and he sees the flaws. It's not just looking once. You have to keep, you have to keep looking. You have to keep looking because things come up as you're going. He's trying here to develop a ridiculous and foolish person who would see the flaws but not fix them. So let's say I put this down and I completely forget about this smudge in my face. Now, it's probably going to distract most of you <laughs> for a while. Um, I'll try not to forget about it. So every single one of you, uh, probably this morning, when you, got, when you were getting ready for church, at least the adults, you probably you probably looked in a mirror. And if you saw something wrong, you fixed it, right? You maybe saw some hair out of place. Now, my hair, I don't need to worry too much about that. It's really stiff and it's short right now. I just had a haircut not long ago. Uh, when, I was, when I was little, my dad used to call it a wire brush. <laughs> and uh, that was pretty accurate. I have to try to clean myself up. So we all, we all look in the mirror from time to time and we know what that's like. You know, I'm going to tell you something. This is the first time ever that I stood in front of a congregation primping. <laughs> okay, I think I'm done. <laughs> so who would look in the mirror and notice you had something on your face like I just had? And um, not do anything about it. Of course you're going to do something about it. And these things keep happening. When you are a hearer of the word and not a doer, that's what James says. It would be like if I would have looked in the mirror and saw those smudges and said, ah, forget about it and just go on. Obviously something needs to be done. Something needs to be, something needs to be taken care of. And we do that too often. We listen to the word, at least I do. And I think everybody here can identify it at least to some degree. We come to worship and we hear what we need to hear. We hear the Word of God preached. And uh, then we go on, and by the time we walked out the, the back doors there after church, we forget about it. Sometimes even, even commitments are made. I know when we have revival meetings and maybe other times, there's an altar call given, and we respond because something needs taken care of, and we are correct. That's the way it should be. However, it doesn't end after the altar call. Um, it doesn't end at the last song and the last prayer. We walk out the door and forget it. And we forget that there was a message that was supposed to spur our hearts. So, what good does it do to hear the Word of God and not do it? Does it do any good? Not really. Again, like the, like the farmer or the gardener putting seeds in the ground. The goal is not to put the seeds in the ground. That's not what they're after. They're putting the seeds in the crown because that's what needs to be done to get the produce. And the same way with the Word of God. It doesn't do you any good to be here this morning if you're not going to take what you, what you hear, what you heard in Sunday school and, and in the devotional and the sermon, if you don't take that and, and take it to heart. It's not going to do you any good. You might as well not have been here. The Christian should keep looking and doing 
the Christian looks in the mirror, he sees the flaw, and he goes off to fix the problem. In that uh, verse 24, I just wanted to point something out there. Verse 24, it says, He beholds himself and goeth his way and straightway. Now, I don't know, you probably know, someone know, what does straightway mean? Right away. It means right away he forgets. Now, where that term comes from is actually, it, it's the, our British translation coming out here. The King James is, is, uh, is, uh, was translated in England back, what, 500 years ago. And in British English, they actually still use that term straightway or straight away. And uh, if you ever if you ever hear some some British people talking, you have to think about it a little bit. If they say straight away or straightway, uh, that means right away. Immediately we forget. We have short memories. Like my dad used to say, I have a good memory, but it's short. Maybe some of you heard him say that. I don't know. I remember him saying it from ever since I was little. And so we forget right away. And uh, we need to we need to uh, take care of these things right away. So um, when I when I uh, when I was here again, if I would have just put the mirror down, and I might have actually I might have actually forgotten that that I had uh, an issue with my with my face because it doesn't take long. We get distracted, and we think about other things, and we go from here, and you go home. Uh, you go home from church and then you have your afternoon and, and tomorrow you go back to work for the week and you forget about taking care of what needs to be done. So we need to keep looking and learning. Instead of, instead of forgetting straightway, we should fix straightway or take care of it right away. We need to slow down and listen to God and don't be quick. All these things work, kind of lead it one into the next. Not, we need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to be angry, and take care of the issues as we see them. Put away all the filthiness. In uh, verse 25, it talks about the perfect law of liberty. Now, that is probably referring to the law of Christ. Now, James himself was a Jew. He was some kind of a Jewish leader, more than likely, and he knew the law. The people that he talked to knew the law when he's teaching in the synagogue. They knew the law. So that's obviously not what he was talking about here because he knew that that, after following Christ, he knew that that was not the perfect law of liberty. He was talking here about what Christ was teaching. So we need to look intently into the perfect law. The Jews, they, uh, we read about the Pharisees a lot. They were the, the Orthodox or the strict uh, division of the Jews. And uh, they thought that following the law was what they needed to do. And so when James was mentioning the law, he was speaking a language that they understood. That They probably perked right up when he talked about the law. However, he was not talking about the law that they understood or the one that they thought he was or should be talking about. Um, they thought that the law was an end in itself or that, you know, the, the, to use the analogy of the seeds... What the Pharisees were used to, what these Jewish people were used to, was putting the seeds in the ground was the end. That's what they were trying to do. No, that's not it at all. And that's what James was trying to, to portray here. He was uh, writing, James was writing here to Christians about what it means to live out our faith in Christ Jesus and his teachings. Uh, James is not calling believers to look at some legalistic rule following as a path to being blessed, but he is writing to people who believe that Jesus fulfilled the law of Moses by obeying it himself 
perfectly. And our, the word has been planted, it says in, in uh, verse 21, it talks about the, the word being engrafted, or, or what that means, you know what grafting is? Um, in, in trees, for example, you put two together and they actually become one single, um, one single tree. Um, when, when we moved to Sparta a number of years ago, um, there, was a, there were some apple trees on the property my parents bought. Probably a lot of you have, have been there, familiar with it. Anyways, <clears throat> we, had this one, we had this one tree that had one interesting branch on it. The apples it produced were completely different than all the others. We had this whole tree of whatever kind it was. I don't remember what kinds they were, except for one branch. And it was a big branch, and it produced a lot of apples. And um, so my parents... Had, Excuse me. They asked the previous owner. They said, "What's up with that tree? Those apples look different." And he said, "Yes, they actually are." And here, a branch from a different apple uh, uh, species was grafted into that tree, and it produced different kind of apples. It was a strange thing. Or we thought it was strange, anyways. We weren't used to that. And uh, so uh, there was. It was. It had become engrafted. It had become part of that tree. And the same way the Word of God is, is supposed to be engrafted in us. Looking at the last couple of verses here, pure religion. There are three main points in these two verses that we want to specifically mention. Uh, a controlled tongue. Now the NIV has an interesting way of putting James 1 verse 26. It says, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein in their tongues deceive themselves. And their religion is worthless. It makes it a little bit more clear than uh, maybe than what we read here in the in the King James. If we can't control our tongue, we're we're showing that our that our religion is worthless. What we're listening to, it's not doing us any good. And you uh, you're lying to yourself if you think that you can be a Christian and be following Christ and be following Christ's teaching, but that you don't have to. You can't keep your tongue un, under control. Um, that's a fallacy, and it it uh, doesn't work that way. And in James 3, again, James goes more into detail about controlling the tongue. And in James 3, he also uses the picture of the bridle of a horse and the rudder on a ship. He talks about how small they are, but yet how they can, uh, how they can control, uh, what they're, what they're trying to steer. And I remember when I was in, when I was in school and, uh, learning about the, in biology, learning about the human body. And we learned about uh, our muscles. You know, some muscles are obviously a lot bigger than others. Some are strong. The leg muscles, for example, are, are very strong. And uh, then I heard, uh, I heard, I heard a, a quote, and I don't remember where I heard it, but they said that the tongue is actually the strongest muscle in the body. Now, what they meant is not literally. It's not literally the strongest. It couldn't lift the most weight. But... It's like this rudder of a ship or the, or the bridle of a, of a horse. Um, it, it controls where the body goes or what happens. And uh, there's also this thing of telling it like it is, and that's actually a Western culture thing. Um, I, got, I got a few books to read that Christian Aid actually gave to me to read before, uh, before we go to Africa. And... They were books that helped me understand different cultures. And something, something in there that applies here very closely, I found to be very interesting. And maybe some of you, if you've ever been, if you've ever been in a country like that, uh, maybe you'll, maybe you'll understand this, but it was kind of a new thought to me. I mean, I had, I had experienced it, but I didn't know why. 
This one book I read talked about the cold weather culture versus a hot weather culture. And it's actually talking pretty much about the climates. Um, however, the climate is not necessarily what causes it. But if you get in countries with a hot weather climate, for the most part, there are a few exceptions, but not many, versus cold weather climate, if you think of uh, North America, the U.S. and Canada, uh, Western Europe, um, we are very we are very precise. And we like to say things like it is. We don't like beating around the bush for the most part. We also, um, when we're watching the time, if we say 6 o'clock, we mean 6 o'clock. And now, well, of course, there are some people that will push that a little bit. For the most part, that's how our cultures are. You go to a hot weather culture, you go to Central America or um, go to Africa or uh, in uh, Central Asia, uh, Southeast Asia, they are very laid back and their time doesn't really mean anything. Um, I've been in, in India a couple times in the past couple of years and the, our host there, when uh, we go for, for seminars, he kind of jokes with us and um, he says we're going to do something at 7 o'clock American time. And what he means is it actually is 7 o'clock. If he says 7 o'clock Indian time, well, who knows what time it is. It's definitely not going to be 7 o'clock. And uh, so there, there is definitely a difference in also the, the hot weather culture. They tend, they're, they're very concerned about relationships. They don't like to hurt feelings. And so they'll just, they'll do anything. Like we're, we're used to being blunt and we, we say like it is and we think that's how we should be. Um, they say things that we would actually consider the untruth. And, um, you know, how can we think, well, that's not even, that's not even true. How can you, how can you even say that? And it's very difficult for a Westerner to grasp that difference. Um, I read a, in, in this one book, there was a story of a man who was in South Africa and he was on his way to a new church. He was, a, uh, I think it was an American or Canadian or something. He was a Westerner and he was on his way. He's supposed to preach at a church in South Africa and he had never been there before and he was lost and it was getting time to get there. And so he stopped at a gas station and asked the guy for directions. And so the guy told him where to go. And he started going and he soon figured out that, that those directions were no way accurate. And he figured out after he was there for a time and understood the culture, he said that, that the, the man at the gas station likely felt bad that he couldn't help. The man at the gas station, as it turned out, had no idea where this church was. But he felt bad not helping him. He was basically saying, I, you know, I want to help you, but I can't. Well, we look at it and say, well, yeah, you're not helping him by sending him down the road the wrong direction. But that's just their, just their culture. He wanted to, to do something. And, uh, so it can be, it can be different, uh, for, you know, we think about things totally different. However, they do have a point, uh, with their, you know, with being easy on, on feelings and, and relationships. Um, James here condemns the unbridled tongue, and that's how they would look at us, as having unbridled tongues. And he says that if our tongue is unbridled, our, our life before God is worthless. We need to watch what we say, speak slowly, as in not right away, and uh, think carefully about what you say. We are to be slow to speak in verse 19. Uh, there's a... There's a missionary that I met recently in Haiti, and um, someone said about him, they said, and I don't know him well, I met him a time or two, but I don't, I don't know him well, someone said, he doesn't say much, but when he does speak, you would do well to listen. 
And uh, somehow he has evidently has gotten control of his tongue because they said, you know, he doesn't say a lot, but when he does, take note because it's worth something. Uh, somebody who talks all the time and, and unbridled it, you know, we soon learn that there's not much there worth listening to most of the time. Uh, verse 27 talks about caring for the unfortunate. And that is part, uh, it adds to what is acceptable to God. The orphans and the widows in the Jewish culture here were the most helpless people. They had no one to provide food or clothes for them. And the scriptures are filled with this teaching from the Old Testament to the New Testament about helping those that need help. So James here in this whole, he's talking here about being a doer, not just a hearer, but a doer. And that's what I want to, what I want to leave with you this morning. Do something. Help those who need. The last uh, phrase here talks about keeping unspotted from the world or keeping unstained. Uh, perversion and sinfulness is rampant in our world. And just because the world breaks God's laws doesn't mean that we can do the same. As Christians, we're to do exactly the opposite. We must hear God's words and do them. These are the things that God is looking for from his people. Be a doer, not a hearer. Let's uh, kneel for a word of prayer. We thank you, Lord, for your rich blessings to us. And Lord, we thank you for your teaching uh, from James this morning that we could uh, look into and study. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us as people with uh, often naturally quick tongues and we're slow to listen. And Lord, we have so much to learn. And we pray that you would help us to remember what James said about um, about controlling our speech, about listening, about helping those who need help and about following you, following your law. We just pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom, give us grace, and uh, and give us strength to do what we know needs to be done. We thank you for the privilege to be here this morning. We thank you uh, for these people. We pray that you would bless them as they continue to serve you in their community, in their homes, and in their, their workplaces, wherever they find themselves. We pray, Lord, that you would help each one of us to be a witness for you and that your light would shine through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.